Greetings, film fans, and welcome to another episode of the Following Feature Podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde, and I'm here every week to give you a breakdown of the latest film news, some gossip, casting information, all that kind of jazz. And I'm also going to be reviewing a few films that I think are are worth watching. They may be coming out of the cinema, they may be on TV, they may be on a streaming platform, but somehow, someway, you can get to watch these films, and I'm going to tell you exactly which films you should, and sometimes shouldn't, watch. Now... If you've been paying attention to the following feature on social media, you'll you'll have picked up on the fact that this is Monday, not Sunday. There should have been a podcast out yesterday. This is take two. Um, if you didn't see the, the notification on social media yesterday, sat down, recorded the entire podcast, and when I when it came to editing it and uh, getting it ready for publication, I realised that I hadn't actually plugged in my studio mic which meant the only thing picking up audio was my laptop. And my laptop wasn't even close to me. Um, So it was a fail, basically. Uh, And unfortunately, I realised that about five minutes before I had to head out. Um, So I I did put it back. Uh, I had to go and see a friend last night, and unfortunately they were going through something, which meant that I had to be there for them. I couldn't just abandon them, you know... It was a long night last night, um, but definitely worthwhile. Um, I, you know, as much as I love this podcast, I will drop it in a second if it edits. You know, if I need to support my friends or look after my friends and family, anything like that. Um, plus, it had been a long day as well. I'd uh, been to my nephew's football match in the morning. That didn't go well. I think the final score was 11-2 to the other team. Um this is what happens when you watch kids playing football. It's not exactly the most consistent thing in the world, but such is life. Um, so yesterday was a long day, but unfortunately, the part of it where I, which is my normal routine, my my consistency, my 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 normal, um, I didn't get to do my podcast. Um, so that was the most disappointing part of yesterday. But you know what? Instead of rushing it in the middle of the evening, I thought. I, I needed to do stuff today. I needed to be up earlier. I had to drive to Slough. Yes, beautiful Slough. Slough. Famous for its... Slough. I don't I don't actually know what the fuck is in Slough. I only went there for a COVID test. It's not really close to me. It's a 75-mile drive, so it's a 150-mile round trip. Um, but it was one that production needed me to take, so... <clears throat> I'll be filming this um, an episode of a TV show on Thursday, which requires me to be tested. Um, I'm filming a completely different TV show tomorrow, and they've just asked me to fill in a form. Uh, but they have the the ability to test on site, so it's it's one of those things. It's a strange world that we're living in right now. It's the new normal, as they keep talking about it. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to uh, get back to work. I've left my office job, which is such a fucking relief. Oh my god. Um, I, you know, I was appreciative. To, I appreciate the fact that they gave me a job and during these difficult times to actually get work that paid well and to be able to work from home where I felt safe. You know, it was a blessing and I really am grateful for it. Um, But my God, the the office work that I do is mainly like sort of accounts payable, purchase ledger stuff, which is just boring, you know, processing and spreadsheets and purchase orders and VAT and all that jazz. It's just, it's just, yeah, not fun at all. But anyway... That's over, and now I'm going to move on and start doing some more filming work, which is really exciting. However, that the old pandemic is kicking off again, showing its ugly face. 
damn it. Hopefully it doesn't cost me more work. As, as you know, I was supposed to be starting work on this movie back in uh, late March, early April, and that got put off due to the whole pandemic. Um, and we are starting up again now. They've, they've started filming. I saw the actor was actually interviewed about it um, in a magazine, um, talking about how different it is, but at the same time, there's the same energy and the same enthusiasm, and that's really encouraging. I can't wait to get on set and see what it's actually like. Um, but that actually starts filming next week. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm, I'm, you know, touch wood, that nothing happens and it gets called off again because that would fuck up my year, basically. Um, but anyway, here we are. We're back with the podcast. I say, it's kind of weird because I've been through all this already. Um, but that was just a, a dry run. That was a rehearsal. This is the real deal. This is the podcast. And... We're kicking it off with some top-notch film news. And the first bit of film news that I've got to bring up, um, Delroy Lindo, who you might have mentioned, you might have mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned it, if you did, well done, because you're right if you mentioned it in regards to possible Oscar nominations. Now, Delroy Lindo is a, is a fantastic British actor that you may only know as an American because he plays an American in every single film he's in, I think, pretty much. Hard to say, but um, uh, he's well known for performances in Malcolm X and The Cider House Rules, um, and the one that I was talking about quite recently, The Five Bloods, the Spike Lee joint that dropped on Netflix uh, about a month ago now. Um, and a lot of the um, focus of that film was on um, well, I mean, it was it was on Chadwick Boseman. Well, it is now, anyway. Um, it wasn't necessarily at first, but he he did give a great performance in that. And unfortunately, since he's tragically suddenly passed away, um, a lot of people do refer to that film as one of the last Chadwick Boseman films. Um, but the the reality is, he wasn't actually a big part of the actual story. Um, he was just in flashbacks. But Delroy Lindo. Um, played one of the guys that he was one of the soldiers that went back to try to find um, their their captain's remains, um, and they wanted to pay tribute to him. But they were also going to try to find some money that they'd hidden, or was it gold? I can't remember. But anyway, Delroy Lindo plays this character who um, is struggling with PTSD and returning to Vietnam to where you know the the worst memories of his life took place it's all a bit too much for him and uh he has a very difficult time with the situation he's racked by guilt and delusions caused by guilt and yeah he gives an, an outstanding performance and i was raving about it at the time because it really did stand out just how you know how much gravitas and how much reality um, emotional reality that he brought to that the sincerity of his performance really kind of shone through and yeah took me by surprise it was absolutely beautiful um, and so now Netflix are basically they're campaigning to have him nominated for an Oscar which I think is completely apt I haven't seen a performance that good um, on screen in a while um, and I think especially in the last 12 months that one it, it's it's worth, worthy of a nomination, if nothing else. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, it's, it's it's a weird thing as well, because they're kind of looking at what category he would go into. 
Um, there's a little bit of speculation in regards to whether it'll be best actor or best supporting actor, because in reality he's part of an ensemble. You know, there are these four guys that go back um, to you know participate in this mission, um, but to be honest, the the story does focus on him a lot more. Um, it focuses on like sort of his guilt and his uh, PTSD um, and his prejudice. Um, that was born of this traumatic period of his life. Um, and it's triggered even more so by the fact that his son, played by Jonathan Majors, comes to find out whether or not, you know, his father is safe to be doing what he's doing and whether he's, like, being looked after and whether his mates are really aware of just how damaged he is and how in need of care he is. So that kind of, you know, escalates the situation Um uh, more than Delroy Lindo's character wanted. And it, it really kind of sparks this amazing performance from him where he has to, like, sort of confess, you know, what's really going on with him um, and open up to his, his you know, his fellow soldiers. So it's a, it's a great performance and, and thoroughly worthy of, of um, an Oscar nod. I'd say best leading actor. Um, I don't think a supporting actor was really apt um, for the performance that he gave and, and the amount of the fact that the story really does focus on him quite a lot um, more so than the other three so yeah absolutely and speaking of Jonathan Majors he actually comes up as my second bit of film news this week if you're not aware of Jonathan, who Jonathan Majors is he is um, that guy from um, he, he plays Delroy Lindo's son that comes to see them in, in Vietnam in Five Bloods um, he also plays Atticus in the new series uh, Lovecraft Country which I haven't watched yet but I hear fantastic things about, and I really, really do want to watch it. It really is so far up my street. I think I live there. But, yeah, he is in the news because he is being cast as Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3. Now, if you're not aware, Kang the Conqueror is a, a well-established villain that's been in the the um, Marvel comics for decades. Um, I think 30, 40, maybe even 50 years, even longer than that. I'm not really entirely sure. However... He's a very pivotal character because he ties in a lot of different Marvel characters. So him appearing in Ant-Man 3, perfectly fine, but it is being seen as a way that the MCU could open the door to the Fantastic Four being brought into, well, the MCU, basically. Um, as everyone knows, like the Marvel didn't always own all of their properties in regards to the, um, the filming rights. Which sounds weird, but during like the early 90s, I think it was, they had some real desperate financial problems, and Marvel almost went bust. So they, they made some deals where they licensed their, their biggest characters uh, to Fox, who then proceeded to make movies out of them. And that's where we got Sam Raimi's um, Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, it's where we got the original Fantastic Four films with Chris Evans, a.k.a. Captain America, playing the Human Torch. Um, that's also where we got the uh, the new Fantastic Four film, um, which was terrible. The one with Miles Teller. That was awful, wasn't it? Michael B. Jordan was in it as well. Great, great cast, but um, and a great director. Um, Josh Trank was making it, and uh, you might remember him from that film, which I can't re- Chronicle, that's it, with the kids that get powers. What a fucking great film that was. Um, and we really did believe that he would be able to knock it out of the park again. But the studio decided that they would be able to make a better film. You know, the lawyers and the accountants and everything. They, they were like, 
yeah, we'll finish it off for you and we'll probably do a better job as well. Which is why that Fantastic Four film was a confusing pile of shite. I mean, really, it was quite, quite fascinating how bad it was. And it would take someone who knows fuck all about films to put that together and say, yeah, that's, that's going to that's gonna be a huge success. That's, people are going to love that. That's a good quality movie. It, yeah, no. No, 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 no. That was, that was an absolute abomination. But forget about it. It's over. It's done. It's forgotten. It's not part of the MCU. It's, it's in the past. Just like we had Fox trying to smash out another Spider-Man franchise to keep the rights. Um, when Marvel did eventually get the character back, guess what? Best Spider-Man we've had. Although Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 2 still, for me, one of the greatest superhero films of all time. Um, it's just a perfect, perfect film. I, I, I dare you to, to name any other Spider-Man film um, above Spider-Man 2 where he fights Doc Ock. Um, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful film. Um, so yeah, we're, they're thinking that Kang the Conqueror coming into Ant-Man 3, which is going to be directed by Peyton Reed. It's the same cast and crew coming back to make that film again. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. But um, Jonathan Majors, he definitely has the chops. He definitely has the the acting ability to do a great job. And I'm really interested to see what his Kang the Conqueror is like. Um, and also, you've got to remember, like, Marvel are now starting a brand new arc. Um, the last story arc, the Infinity Saga, lasted three phases. That was 22 movies in about 11 years. And so now, I mean, dear God, has anyone even attempted something so audacious? I don't think so. But they're going to do it again. Um, and Kang the Conqueror, he might seem... You know, he might be in this film as uh, a villain for the one movie, but I doubt he'll be destroyed or, or completely defeated. I think they'll just be able to stop him in his tracks and, and move on from it, but I think he'll escape and become a bigger threat because in the MCU, well, sorry, in, in Marvel Comics, he is one of the biggest threats of all time. He's even tangled with Thanos and, and taken him down a couple of times. So he really is quite a serious, serious threat. And this could be the big threat that leads up over the next 20 movies, over the next 10 years. I honestly hope that that's what's happening. I really do hope that they, they want to build another arc over another three phases. Just so, I mean, look at what they achieved with Endgame. That kind of commitment and dedication and belief in, in what they were doing. Absolutely fantastic. And it really did pay off. That was one of the most amazing cinematic accomplishments I've ever seen. And a lot of people will be talking about the oversaturation of superheroes and comic book movies, but you've got to remember that the, the um, target demographic are people that have been eating up hundreds of thousands of comics for 70 years. Um, there is an endless amount of iterations of characters through different, um, you know, realities, different dimensions, different timelines. It's just, there are so many different possibilities. And at no point have comic book fans said, you know what, that's enough. That's enough. You know, I think when they're like, 17th iteration of Spider-Man came out, people were like, oh, give me all of it, give me all of it. You got another one. Um, if you don't believe me, just just go online and look at just, just Spider-Man and look at iterations and look at all the different variations. And, you know, because you'll, you'll be aware of Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man, the fantastic Spider-Man, 
the Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, you might be aware of things like um, Spider-Man Noir and things like that. There are, there are so many different ones. Well, I guess if you saw Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, you'll get an idea of what's going on. And that might have seemed ridiculous, but wait till the second one comes out, because they're going to be showing even more iterations of Spider-Man. There are thousands upon thousands, and as a, as a film fan and a comic book fan and, you know, just a general all-round geeky nerd dude, I can't wait. Give me more. Keep it coming. I, I will never get sick of these things. Um, and especially the way the MCU are doing it right now, I think they've, they've you know, they've figured out the formula um, and they're sticking with it. And yeah, my only concern is that I've done a DC film as I've mentioned on the podcast in, in the in the past, um, I've uh, I did work on Justice League, but um, my scene was cut, um, and now that it's actually been redone for um, HBO Max, I still can't. I was so going to tell you about my scene and exactly what I did, um, because I did have an interaction with um, some main cast members. Um, I was in a huddle at one point. Uh, with Zack Snyder, Ben Affleck, and Jeremy Irons, and just thinking to myself, I shouldn't be here. This is not... I, they've made a mistake. But there you go. Zack Snyder's a wonderful director, and um, one of the most personable uh, directors I've ever encountered. And considering he's one of the most um, highly successful and acclaimed directors I've ever met, the fact that he was that, you know, approachable and so kind of friendly one-on-one I can see, I can see why people talk about him the way they do. Um, but anyway, we'll see what happens with that when it comes out. Let's move on though, because I'm kind of waffling on about MCU here. John Boyega, don't we all love John Boyega? I mean, I really feel for the lad as well because he's a very accomplished actor. He's got a lot of skill, um, you know. And I'm not just talking about Star Wars. Uh, if you saw Detroit, that was fantastic. Attack the Block, obviously, is a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, and he's got some great stuff coming up. I know he's going to be in Small Axe, which is Steve McQueen's um, anthology series for the BBC. Um, I'm very excited about watching that. And not just because I'm in it, but I am. Um, I got to do uh, a, a few scenes with Letitia Wright. So I'm really looking forward to um, seeing that when it comes on. Um, but yeah, John Boyega, uh, he's been going through a little bit recently. And he's been talking about how um, in the Star Wars films in particular... I don't know if you can hear that, but the ice cream van just turned up outside. Yep. It's seven o'clock on a Monday evening. It's a bit cloudy. Uh, I think any kids that would normally run to the street for an ice cream are in bed by now. But it, it does seem to be the time when he turns up. I don't know. I think it's like a sneaky drug dealer. I think he comes around in an ice cream van um, and the parents come out and they're like, oh yes, I will have... A 20 bag of Calippos. And he hands them across what is about 20 pounds worth of Calippos in one palm. Yeah, it's sneaky. That might not be it. I think I've probably been watching too many... What was that film? What's that from? Is that Friday? Yeah, Friday. I've been watching that too many times. Anyway, I digress. Um, John Boyega, he's been talking a lot about Star Wars recently because the way he looks at it now... Uh, he felt that, um, from his perspective, uh, the people of colour had their storylines kind of pushed to the side because the Star Wars people didn't know what to do with them. Um, and it's kind of weird because when you look at it, he's definitely got a point. 
Like, what's the first thing we saw when they were advertising Force Awakens? Was it John Boyega? Was it the Black Stormtrooper? That we were like, sort of suddenly like, what's going on here? What's his story? What's his situation? What part does he play in this all? At the end of the film, we see him there with a lightsaber taken on Kylo Ren. He was supposed to be something huge. Um, and I liked what um, Ryan Johnson did in regards to um, developing that character. Now, um, Rose Tran, who um, is also in, in the films, and she also had her storyline marginalised significantly. Um, her and Boyega have this whole scene which people hate in The Last Jedi, about them going to this um, uh, this this gambling, this casino planet, um, which seems to be like completely has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever, um, and I, I I disagree with people's opinions on that because people say that that was just a completely pointless situation. They gained nothing from it. Nothing happened, and it wasn't worth it. But you've got to understand um, that was a big like development point for um, Finn for his character. Finn had always been seeing things from the inside. He knew how bad the First Order was. Um, he knew the kind of horror that they were they were um, doing. And he felt that if he got out of that situation, he'd be free of it. But what he didn't really take into consideration was all of the people around the universe that can't escape from it, that, that are, are gradually leading worse and worse lives um, under fascist oppressive rule because of the First Order um, and what they were doing and how they were treating people. And she, you know, it's quite on the nose at some points, she gets him to look closer and see it for what it is. And she teaches him how to be a, a rebel, how to stand up and, and know how important it is to fight against the system, to take it down, to destroy it if you can, using their own, um, you know, entertainment against them. That's what that whole scene is about. And it's, you know, it's it's a very, it's a big learning moment for that character. And it's a great development of between, um, you know, Rose and Finn. Um, and it's kind of weird because there are a number of different things in that, that franchise where you think, all right, well, at first you're thinking it's um, Finn and Ray, and they're going to get together. And that seemed like a, a really good, um, you know, relationship. That seemed like a really good dynamic. Uh, and we really wanted to see that. You know, they were literally um, fighting for each other. Um, when the two of them combined took on Kylo Ren, they almost killed him. You know, it was it was, it was so much going on. And, um, you know, it just it just seemed like more and more the, the story was centering on Kylo and Rey. And that's fine. They are hugely important characters. But in the original trilogy, it wasn't just about Luke and Leia. You know, the the, the peripheral characters were pivotal to the actual plot. Um, Han and Chewie, um, the others, your man with the face, they were all hugely important. Um, and it just, it just felt like sort of, even, um, what do you call him, Poe Dameron, uh, your man there with the face, Oscar Isaac, he... Every, every now and again it seemed like he was going to be the, the big hero and he never really had that big hero moment he was always like a um, 
a tool of exposition. He had to do something so that someone could stop him and say, you can't do that because of this situation. And he'd be like, ah, the situation. Okay. And it's just like, uh, all right, okay. Um, so everyone, uh, yeah, he he had a lot of frustrations and the way he kind of articulated his point really kind of made you look at the trilogy again. I mean, it wasn't a great trilogy, let's face it. The first one had a lot of nostalgic joy. The second one was dark and daring and, and bold, but it, you know, it polarized the, the, the opinions of fans. Um, whereas the third one was just, they, they phoned it in um, they did a checklist on Reddit, and it was just a pile of shite. It was an embarrassment. Um, and whilst I may have laughed and cried a little bit, it was mainly for nostalgic reasons. And it was nothing to do with the actual story they were telling, because what were they telling in that third film? They really shot themselves in the foot. They had to have some faith in what what happened before and not try to rewrite everything in the final chapter. Fucked it up. Anyway, uh, John Boyega's actually been cast in the new film, um... He, I and the Sky director, Gavin Hood's new thriller, it's called The Test. And um, it's based on a novel of the same name, and it finds Boyega playing a behavioural psychologist in a fascist world set in the near future, where he determines the worth of potential new citizens. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty interesting. Um, if you didn't see I in the Sky, really, 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 you need to go and watch that. Uh, I might stick it on my review list for next week, but... It's a fantastic film. It's this political war thriller about these people that are quantifying and qualifying the actions of a drone operator in relation to, um, uh, you know, something going on in Afghanistan, a terrorist organization that they're trying to take out. Um, and it's looking at the, um, the moral and economic risks taken and how those two things conflict against each other when making judgments based on collateral damage. Um, what is more important, the financial impact or the impact on the lives of people? It's something that's quite familiar to us right now in this country because the government is putting the economy first and putting people second. Not so bad as it is in America, 200,000 dead so far. Um, but, and that's the thing, America hasn't even hit the second wave yet. We're hitting the second wave here in the UK and it's not going well. Um, we're facing another lockdown. It's probably going to last till Christmas. Um, and my fucking film is probably going to get cancelled again because the world is a bastard. But hey, I'm not complaining. Well, I am complaining. Daily. All all the time. This fucking country. But anyway, um, Eye in the Sky was a great film. It was a really, really interesting film. It had a great cast. The drone operator is played by Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Um, the general, uh, the army general is played by Alan Rickman in one of his final roles and he knocks it out of the park. Dear God, does he fucking rule in that film. Also, it has Helen Mirren and let's face it, when is Helen Mirren ever bad? Even when she's doing a shitty cheesy accent in, um, the Fast and Furious films and really hamming it up, she's doing it brilliantly because I don't think she knows any other way of doing things. So yeah, um, that's definitely worth checking out and it's of the quality of that film that I'm really looking forward to the test. And having Boyega there, um, I'm really interested to see who ends up working with him now because when he had his um, Black Lives Matter protest, his big powerful speech in Hyde Park, which, <clears throat> you know, if you really care about the movement and um, and what's going on at the moment, if you've got an ounce of compassion in your soul, you'd have, you'd have really kind of felt the emotion in what he was saying and what it meant to him. Um, 
And with this, the current cancel culture and, and this really strange right-wing movement, you do fear that the ramifications could have been that it cost him a lot of work, um, especially after his experiences on the like Star Wars films and things like that. However, a lot of um, directors did, uh, you know, reach out and say, God, yes, I want to work with you. Uh, one of them was Jordan Peele. That would be fantastic. Jordan Peele is doing some great work in, the, in, in regards to like sort of horror and suspense films at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, the other one was Charlie Brooker. If you're not aware, Charlie Brooker is the guy behind Black Mirror. He's done some really interesting uh, projects in the past. And he said that he would crawl naked through broken glass just to have Boyega look at one of his scripts. So yeah, hopefully that'll come as something, but um, we'll we'll keep you posted on that one. Now, something different to watch, um, something that I, I I wasn't even aware was happening, and um, I kind of avoided it as well because <clears throat> the first I heard of it, there was um, a re reunition. Damn, you know, in my head that sounded like a word. Reunification, reunion. That's the fucking word I'm looking for. Jesus. Um, uh, between Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston online, and I was like, oh, who cares? Fucking celebrity gossip for me with these trousers? No. So I wasn't really too interested, but I've actually looked into it a bit more now because it's come to my attention that it wasn't just the two of them Skyping for old time's sake. Um, Dane Cook, uh, the comedian had uh, somehow managed to put together a table read of um, Fast Times from Ridgemont High, which is the classic 80s um, film that's got a bit of a cult following. And the cast he got for this fucking read-through is incredible. Um, So he had Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, John Legend, Ray Liotta, Sean Penn... Morgan Freeman, Julia Roberts, Jimmy Kimmel, and Shia LaBeouf. And Sh- um, Shia, he kept it method. Um, he was playing uh, the stoner character of Spicoli. And um, he decided to do it... Well, everyone else was, like, sat in their fucking kitchen or lounge or something and just there with a the laptop, as you do. Um, but no, not our boy Shia. Oh, I fucking love the LaBeouf. Um, he decided that he was going to film it from his car, and because he was playing a stoner, he was going to hotbox his car. Now, I know you're saying, hey, Arthur, I just got back from church, and I don't know what hotboxing is. Please tell my virgin young Christian soul what that means. Well, strap in, fella, because this is going to shock you. It's about smoking weed in your car with all the windows shut, so you can't get any fresh air into the car, and you keep rebreathing that circulated weed air until you become mash up in the place it's really quite from what i've heard an experience uh you know i wouldn't know obviously anyway so you can catch that that's actually online at the moment now there were some technical difficulties so unfortunately the whole thing isn't available but dane did manage to put together the best parts and it's an hour long it's an hour long of these guys all just sitting around and reading the script. And it's 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 a lot of fun. It's really interesting. It's really good. Obviously, it's not the greatest performances in the world. You know, it's a table read. Um, and not a lot of people will be familiar with table reads, but it's not about 
you know, giving your best performances. It's about just kind of going through the script and, and making sure everyone knows their parts and everyone's got any questions, any problems, any notes. Um, you know, it's one of those to read through. Um, but, you know, it's it's it, this is a really a, a good... It was a good fun thing. And, you know, they don't take it that seriously. They have a lot of fun with it. And it is amazing to see these people delivering these lines. Not all of them were in the film. I don't think any of them were in the film, actually, if I'm honest. Um, but they do, the actual um, screenwriter, Cameron Crowe, he does pop in at one point as well and give his thoughts. I think the director does as well. I can't remember her name, unfortunately. But, yeah, go check that out. If you're looking for something completely different to watch, um, it's on YouTube. As I say, it's 59 minutes long. It's about an hour long. Um, you might like it. You might find it boring. Um, I think for an actor, it's quite interesting to watch these people do a table read and just kind of see how, you know, how they're able to read lines off a page rather than what it's like when they prepare. Um, because I've, I've been in situations where like I've had lines, um, and I, I can tell you that the, the, um, the smaller the amount of dialogue that you have, the harder it is to rehearse. I remember one of the hardest self-tapes I ever had to do um, was just me saying the word yes. Uh, basically, the, the scene was that someone walks past and they're handing out like wage slips. They call out my name and I had to just kind of look in their direction and go, uh, yep. You see, that one right there, that was perfect. If I'd done that, I probably got, got the role. But after 50 attempts, and I think about an hour and a half trying... I sent one in, and they were like, interesting, interesting. Could you read a little more? And so I read a little more, and they were like, yeah, no, no, you, you, can't, you can't do this. You're, you're not good enough. So, yeah. Um, but, hey, that's life. It's a learning experience. And um, since then, I've gone on to have more speaking parts and stuff. And, um, you know, you win some, you lose some. The important thing is I, I keep trying. Yay! Go me, me. Anyway, that's all your film news for this week. It's not a lot. I understand. Um, but yeah, oh, the other thing that was coming up as well, which I don't think is a real thing. A lot of people talk about the fact that Tom Hardy has been cast as James Bond. In the film following No Time to Die, apparently it's going to be Tom Hardy. Now, this rumour is spreading like wildfire, but there is no real kind of substance behind it. There's no real kind of weight behind it no one of any real significance within that industry or you know that production is actually saying anything about tom hardy being in the role and personally i don't think it's it's good for him i don't think it's the right role for him um i think he would be good as a spy but i think he'd be um he'd be best thrown into something like the the mission impossible franchise or if they make another one of those man from uncle films yeah that would be good actually i'd enjoy that he does, he does well with Guy Ritchie. I don't know if you've seen Rock and Roller. That was a good film. Um, but yeah, I don't think Tom Hardy's going to be Bond. I'm sorry. I also don't think Idris Elba's going to be Bond. And I'm not saying that because, oh, Bond can't be a black man. It's just Bond shouldn't be old as fuck. Um, I'm sorry, but if Daniel Craig's too old to play Bond, Idris Elba's too old to play Bond. And I think what they need to do is they need to they need to look at who Bond was in that first book in Casino Royale, um, because he's a commander in the Royal Navy. He's just got back from war, and um, he's a bit of a broken man. He's a bit of a cold shell of a man. 
and it made him the perfect like sort of you know killer for the the government um he did some pretty gruesome things on their behalf and um judging by the life he led you know but it was all i think there was this suave sophistication to him and chiseled good looks that made him the perfect spy because uh he was you know he had that uh, the appeal that was disarming um and the charisma that was you know well just yeah disarming it was just like it basically it would um put people off their guard and they'd relax a little bit and they'd give them a bit bit more space just enough space for him to do what he needs to do and then they'd be like ah bond you did it again so who would i cast in that role um for me michael fassbender's always been the perfect role for bond um and i think one of the best examples of him being a bond type character was in inglorious bastards that wonderful wonderful scene where they're sitting talking to the ss um soldier um about you know dialect it's just you know tarantino he may not be everyone's taste but i do say that inglorious bastards is not just one of his best films i think it's definitely if not his actual best film um but for me personally it's one of the best war films i've ever seen um and it's just yeah absolutely fantastic so fastbender from that scene that was that was me convinced that he would definitely be an incredible bond at the same time tom hiddleston would be wonderful absolutely wonderful he has the physicality he has the fierce nature behind him he has that ability to be cold and cruel as we've seen when he's playing loki um but he has that kind of suave sophistication as well he has that kind of debonair thing about him um pardon me but there are there are a bunch of people that that could do the role really well um taron egerton is one that i think should be considered you know um again he kind of fits what the books were saying that bond was all about and as far as the age is concerned you know i think he'd be good as well because it gives him the ability to kind of grow into the role and develop like bond would have in the books um yeah but we'll see we'll see what happens but i don't really think that's actual you know verified news so i'm sorry if you got your hopes up about tom hardy being bond uh and if if i'm wrong i'm wrong you know that's, that'll be a very interesting situation to deal with, but I just, I don't see Tom Hardy being Bond. Right, that is now definitely enough of the film news. Let's move on to our film reviews. Okay, and film number one has to be Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um... To say I've been looking forward to this for 29 years would actually be a lie, because after Bogus Journey, we never thought we were going to get another Bill and Ted film. Um, and after a couple of decades, I think we'd even forgotten, you know, that we'd ever wanted a third Bill and Ted's film. After nearly 30 years, when it does actually come out, literally 29 years after Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, oh, wasn't really sure what to expect. But anyway, um, we catch up with the titular heroes who, nearly 30 years since their bogus journey, still haven't written the song, which is meant to unify the world and, as is now the case, 
all of reality. Older, more tired and struggling to keep their marriages together, they've just about given up. But when a visitor from the future ring, brings the news that um, they have until that evening to write and perform the song, they're suddenly thrown back into a world of time-travelling adventure once more. Although this time, so are their daughters, who go on their own escapade through time to do what they can to help their dads. With time ticking away, can they find a way to save everything they hold dear, or is it too late? Now, I wasn't really sure what to expect going into this film. Um, and it was a weird one whilst I was watching it, because I didn't re-watch the old films before going to see this. There were films that I watched to death when I was growing up, and I didn't feel like I'd forgotten anything, or, you know, misremembered anything, or misunderstood anything. Um, but I'll be honest, I kind of went into this expecting a better film. Now, what I mean by that is something a bit more grounded, um, a bit more of a kind of, you know, I don't know, a modern film with a more of a coherent storyline. Um, and when when it started, when the film started to play and it was all a bit kind of weird and all over the place and a bit messy and a bit scatty, I thought, oh shit, it's not good. It's not a good film. And you know what? It's not. It's, it is all over the place. It is quite scatty. It is a bit, you know, erratic and um, weird at times. It doesn't really follow a, a very understandable plot and it doesn't really kind of stick to its own rules most of the time. It's one of those films where it's a bit of a mess. However, in hindsight, that's exactly what I wanted. If you've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey... You might be thinking for film. You might be thinking for filming. I don't know where I was going there. Um, you might be forgiven for thinking that um, they were made by a bunch of stoners for little money, just for a bit of a laugh. And you know what? You're right. That's that's that is pretty much what the films were. Um, but they had at their very core this warm heart, this endearing charm. Um, and this optimistic joy, which just kind of shone through and really did make an impact on people. Like, you'd be surprised at how art imitated life because a lot of people were just walking around going, be excellent to each other. And, you know, that that's, I mean, what more of a um, a motto do you need in life but be excellent to each other? You know, the world the world turns on compassion. Um, and I think, you know, we all need to be a little bit more compassionate these days. That's one of the things that we're really missing. We're missing the empathy. We're missing the compassion. Uh, we're missing the patience and the understanding. Um, and what better time to have a film like Bill and Ted Face the Music? Because it's funny. It's charming. It's sweet. Um, it's almost intentionally badly acted at times. Uh, but in the way that you'd really want to, the way that makes it fun, and, you know, you don't worry about them taking it too seriously. Um, for me, personally, um, I loved the, the daughters. I thought they were really wonderful, whimsical characters. And I really do believe that if they had their own spin-off film, I would have watched the fuck out of it. I, I really think that would work, and I really think that's something they need to consider. Hopefully they will. Um, and, you know, the, the cast are great. They bring up 
you know, bring so much of the old cast back. Pretty much every single actor that was in the first two films comes back. And it's quite an accomplishment. Even everyone that made the film was pretty much from the first film. Like the um yeah, the guys that wrote it and made it, they they they're the same ones, they came back again. Um and it really comes through that it's made with a lot of love, a lot of heart. And I laughed out loud several times, but I tell you something. Most of the times when I was laughing out loud, it was by about one character in particular. And it's a, a killer killer robot sent from the future called Dennis. Oh my fucking days. If you don't know who Anthony Carrigan is, that's perfectly understandable because he's he's not exactly very well known. You will know his face, probably. Um, he is an actor that suffered with a form of alopecia, which left him with no hair on his head or face. And it gives him quite um, a weird kind of expressionless kind of scary look. Um, and he played a, a, a quite an evil character in the TV show Gotham. And he also plays a, a Chechen hitman in um, Barry, which is a wonderful, wonderful TV series about uh, a hitman turned amateur actor. Really worth a look. But anyway, he plays Dennis, um, the, the robot. And dig, oh my God. There's just so many scenes where like, He's, he's just his comedy timing is perfect. His delivery is fantastic, and I just a lot of people have complained about him being an unnecessary addition to the film. I don't know. I, I think a lot of people did go into this. They're not from my generation. They weren't really there when these films came out, and they didn't have they didn't live in the world that made Bill and Ted seem so very apt. Because it's a bit hard to introduce these characters now in the world we live in right now. Um, Back in the late 80s, early 90s, these were the exact characters we needed uh, for the world that we're living in right, you know, there and then. I think it's a wonderful film and I think you should go see it. It's at cinemas now, but I believe it'll be on streaming very, very soon. Um, so keep an eye out for it. Bill and Ted face the music. Thumbs up all the way. The next film I'm going to talk about has just dropped on Netflix this week. Um, it's The Devil All the Time and it stars Tom Holland... Sebastian Stan, Robert Patterson, and Bill Skarsgård. Now, if you're not too familiar with who these people are, uh, let me just take you through it. Tom Holland, you should know, is Spider-Man. Sebastian Stan, also in the MCU, he plays the Winter Soldier. Um, Robert Pattinson, you'll probably know from like the Twilight films and stuff. Uh, but And he's actually also in Tenet at the moment. He's also going to be playing Batman. He's in this. He's fantastic. Pardon me. Bill Skarsgård. The Skarsgård family in, are in every fucking film. Um, and they are a wonderfully talented family. Bill, even in this film, you might not recognise him straight away for his most uh, famous role. But he played Pennywise the Clown in It. The modern ones. Um, this... This is neither a Marvel movie nor a Stephen King horror um, or a DC movie. I didn't forget. So basically the story follows Arvin, a young boy who became an orphan at a young age, growing up around God-fearing Christian folk, but wary of the good religion does when it's in the wrong hands. When Trouble finds his young sister, he takes the unusual step to put things right, having a sense of measured and well-timed justice taught to him by his dad, the one lesson he valued and held on to as a reminder of his father's integrity. But 
His rash actions have consequences, and soon he's in more danger than he could have imagined. Can doing the right thing work out, or will he pay for what he's done? Now, this film, um, it's it's quite a big film for Netflix. I mean, it's got an amazing cast, but as far as the production goes, it's beautifully made and really well crafted. Um, but I will warn you that the film is a bit slow paced at time, um, and it kind of gets caught up in the um, in, in building the atmosphere and kind of you know. It's it's a really good film and it really is enjoyable, but at two hours fifteen minutes, it's kind of if anything, it's a it's a bit too short. Maybe it could have been a little bit longer. Um, I just feel like we could have explored the scenarios a little bit more and built them up to kind of you know had a bit more weight behind them. At two hours and fifteen minutes, I was quite surprised when the film ended. Um, I wasn't disappointed. It was a great film. But um, this is the thing, and I don't know if you're like me. With, with Netflix, if they say, like, kind of, oh, yeah, um, you know, we're releasing this new um, Scorsese film called The Irishman. It's, it's three and a half hours long, though. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I can pause it. I can, I can you know, go and take a lunch break. I can, I can finish it tomorrow if I want to. That's fine. It's watching that kind of thing at the cinema that drives me crazy. When I went to see Endgame, which is like, I think it clocks in at just over three hours, I had to um, go to a cinema that had the big reclining seats down at the front. There's no way I'm going to be be able to stay comfortable for three hours in a cinema. Um, but yeah, what I found with the, the Devil All the Time is that it does it does build some really great characters. Um, and it, what it does as well that, was, that I found was quite nice. It has occasional narrative from the author of the book that it's based on, which really, I mean, you, you can't get a more authentic reading of the narrative than the actual guy that wrote the narrative. Um, if anyone understands it better than him, I'd be surprised. Um, and it has this wonderful, um, it's, it's, it's a period piece. It's basically set after the war, after the Second World War, the father returns home. Um, but then it kind of catches up with his son 20 years later, played by Tom Holland. Um, so it's a, it's based like sort of, you know, uh, mid-60s. Um, I believe, unless... No, yeah, yeah, it's after the Second World War. So yeah, and it's about 20 years after. So about, about mid-60s. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the production is fantastic. The The costume hair and makeup and everything is, is spot on um and the portrayals are, are really great bill skarsgård is is wonderful and you know scary clowns aside he really does have some amazing acting ability but as i say that whole family is just fucking you know plagued with talent um yeah it's a very interesting film it's a very dark and um you know it's a really it's one of those films where you've got a few different storylines that are intertwined and um, they don't really seem connected at first, <clears throat> but as it gets into the third act and, and things start to come together, it builds that momentum where you suddenly realise how everything's going to clash and everything's going to like sort of come to a, a crux. Um, and that leads up to a, a wonderful finale, but at the same time, you kind of feel like you've missed out on bits and pieces um so yeah give it a try because it is a wonderful film 
but let me know what you think. Was there something missing? Can a film be two hours and 15 minutes and still be a bit too short? I think if this film was like another half hour long, it wouldn't have affected the enjoyment of the film. And I think it would have added a little bit more weight to some of the actual plot points. Um, but I think I might actually end up watching it again. Um, sometimes I'm, I don't necessarily miss things the first time around, but I don't appreciate them properly the first time around. I think I'm looking for a bit too much and I'm trying to break down things in my mind um, and analyse them. And I don't really fully take it in. I had this conversation with a friend recently. Well, actually, a few friends. We all met up for um, we all met up for a, a pub lunch in the garden, socially distanced as you do. Um, and uh, yeah, actually, it was in a, a pub in Pavenham, and our mate Stevie was the chef, and he cooked us some absolutely delicious burgers. Um, Stevie, sorry, I've actually forgotten the name of the pub. Um, send me a message, remind me, and I'll I'll give it a plug next week. Um, but yeah, we were talking about how sometimes we watch films, um, because I think I reviewed a film that people around the table generally liked, but one person was like, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And everyone's like, just watch it again, just watch it again. And they made the argument that if you have to watch a film again, then it, it just wasn't good. You know, it doesn't take two watches to, to, to find something enjoyable. And I kind of understand where he's coming from. But at the same time, sometimes you just don't get it first time round. Um, and that's easily done. I remember one of the prime examples, or one that my mate Andrew brought up, um, was when we both first watched The Big Lebowski together, we thought it was a pile of shit. We were just like, what What was that? That that didn't make any sense. That was just random babbling nonsense. We, we just didn't really enjoy it. Um, however, we found ourselves quoting it and we decided to give it a second try, and wouldn't you know it, um, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, one of the most enjoyable, funniest, you know, memorable films. Um, and one that I think I've watched, it, that might be the film I've watched the most. I'd be surprised if I hadn't watched it more than a hundred times. It's just, it's a great, great film. But sometimes, you know, you have to go back and... and you know, it works for you the second time round. So maybe I'll watch The Devil all the, all the time again, and maybe it'll be even better. But I still did enjoy it, and I still would recommend it. Now, my final film is my indie film for the week, or Hidden Gem. I don't really know how to categorise this film. I do try to make sure that there's an independently produced film in there, because uh, the film industry, um, you know, production companies, committees, uh, lawyers and solicitors put together film projects for the sake of making money and I'm sorry that's not art um, when someone has a vision that they need to realize and um, you know put out there and they dedicate themselves to it in every single aspect of the the production that they possibly can they make it happen well let me tell you about a man called Jim Jim Cummings because my final film this week is Thunder Road which you can find on Netflix um, I think it might even be on Prime as well but Find this film and watch it because it's absolutely wonderful. And and Jim Cummings, he is the writer, he is the director, he is the co-editor, he composed the fucking music, he's the star of the film. I think he even made the tease for the crew one day. I don't know. He he did it all. Um and he did it for 
and please appreciate the context of the filmmaking world, he did it for a measly $200,000. I know what you're saying, like, dude, I could buy a fucking house for that. Um, good. I'm, I'm, I hope you do. But um, $200,000 to make a massively successful motion picture in the US that gets international distribution and awards, that's just unheard of. Especially if you're not a successful writer, director, editor, composer, and actor already. And you're going to do all of that yourself and smash this film out there? Well, let me tell you about it. Jim Cummings, <clears throat> he stars as a cop uh, called Jim. Yeah, he didn't... Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he stars as a cop who is suffering due to the loss of his mother and his wife filing for divorce. Despite being advised to take time off, Jim keeps working and finds the more traumatic sides of his job being a police officer uh, affecting him emotionally. As he heaps more pressure on himself to fight for custody of his daughter, preserve the memory of his mother, and maintain his ability to do his job effectively, the inevitable breakdown begins and he starts to fall apart, putting everything at risk. And with everything to lose, Jim must find a way to make compromises before it's too late. Pardon me. Now, this is a wonderful film, and I wasn't really sure um, if I wanted to watch it, but I started watching the trailer, um, and there was a little, inter little interaction between um, a man and his daughter, and I just, I, I, you know, that was that was witty enough. So I thought I'd give it a try, and the opening scene, that's what draws you in. That's when you know you're in for something good, because he turns up at his mum's funeral in full police uniform, and um, she was a dance instructor, and he wants to pay tribute to her by, by doing a dance to her favourite song, Thunder Road, by Bruce Springsteen. Um, and he does this whilst having a bit of an emotional breakdown. So what you have is this opening scene of a mustachioed police officer doing a very unrehearsed dance routine to Bruce Springsteen at a funeral. I, I You know, you can't, you can't watch that scene and then leave the movie to be and then walk away from it going, it probably doesn't get any better than that. It it does, uh, surprisingly, and it's it's a, a shockingly good film. It's a really great character um, story about someone who has never really been, has never really reached the the um, the greatness that they 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 thought they'd achieve. Um, they've never quite achieved the respect they thought they'd achieve. You know, as a police officer and a father, you'd think you'd have a certain amount of respect, but. It's it's mostly his fault as well. Like he goes about trying to um, portray himself in a way that everyone sees is just a facade, um, but he can't see it himself. So he carries on trying to be this character, and people are trying to break through to him and say, "Listen, it's all right. You know, you don't have to try so hard, and you can grieve at some point as well." But he wants to be the the rock. He wants to be, you know. The one that people lean on and depend upon and the one that can never break and is just the foundations of everything that is left about his family. And I can empathise with that. I've been in that situation where, like, tragedy occurs all around me and it greatly affects me, but I kind of categorise other people's loss and hurt and pain as having a priority over my own. Um, and this is one of the things that I've learned about in regards to my mental health, is that it's okay for me to be not okay. Um, and what this guy can't discover all the way through this film 
is that he can be vulnerable. He can show weakness. And it's it's not a bad thing. He doesn't have to be ashamed. He doesn't have to be embarrassed. But he holds it in for so long. He bottles it up for so long that it he just becomes this ticking time bomb as he's walking around. And whilst he's not necessarily a dangerous individual, um, you know, the threat that he holds to himself and his own well-being is what people are worried about. Um, and he gets very confused. Um, and he, you know, he, he's guilty of sabotaging his own life um, on, in many different ways, many different, you know, um, you know, well, he just does so many different things that he thinks are for the greater good. And they, they backfire so quickly and so dramatically that you just think he's, he's best just getting out of his own way. Um, because, you know, he is one of those people, like, sort of, of all the problems that he's trying to fix in his life, he doesn't realise that he's the one creating them as he goes along. Um, but it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, black comedy, you know, um, has, Jim Cummings is a fantastic actor, and I've, I wasn't aware of him at all before, but not only does he smash it as an actor in this, um, it's really well written, it's really well directed, the music's good, um, and... It seemed to be co-edited perfectly. So, it's not even a thing. I'd, the thing is, it's it's a wonderful film, and it really is a hidden gem. It's an indie film. It's a self-produced, self-made work of art. Um, and I think that's how you can really, really appreciate this, is that you're not seeing something that's been tainted by the interference of a committee or a studio. You're seeing one man's work being shown in an honest and sincere way, and it is an absolute belter. Give it a try. Thunder Road. Um, and that's it. That's the podcast for this week. That's all of the films I have to review. There's nothing else going on right now. Um, there are loads of films I want to review. And there's some films that I'm going to have to get around to reviewing. It's amazing. Every now and again, like I'll sit back and I'll I'll see a clip of something. And I'll be like, yeah, you know what? That is a fucking good film. I need to, I need to review that. Um... I got talking to my mum the other day about um, Snatch and uh, just scenes in it that I thought were hilarious and, and wonderful and brilliant. I think we were talking about Brad Pitt and his Irish accent because I'm from an Irish family. Um, apparently it comes across in my voice sometimes. Not necessarily the accent, but the intonation. I don't know. Um, but my my mum's from Northern Ireland. My dad's from the Republic. Uh, and yeah, why am I bringing up the Irish connection again? I don't know. Oh yeah, Snatch, Brad Pitt with his accent. And everyone thought he was putting on a weird accent, but he was putting on a perfect pikey accent, or traveller accent, or, you know, I don't really know what to say. Um, but I hope, I hope that doesn't offend anyone. I don't mean it in a derogatory term, but in, in the film he's known as uh, the pikey. So, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. Um, but yeah, I, I was just telling her about that, and she's like, I, you know, she was looking at me kind of confused. I'm like, you've seen Snatch, right? And she was like, no, I've, I've, I've no idea about it. And I didn't watch it with her, but she wanted something to watch. So I just quickly got my Amazon up on her TV and just went there, 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 and there. There you go. Put it on. And she loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's a fantastic film. And maybe I do need to kind of go back and review a Guy Ritchie film because, you know, um, he's made some great films. He's made some absolute classics. Uh, but he's made some, you know, wet farts in an elevator as well. Do you know what I mean? He's, um, it's, mm, it all really depends on what he's doing. 
Um, I worked on King Arthur. Um, and what I found fascinating about that was when we were working on it, it was known as um, it was known as Knights of the Round Table, the Legend of King Arthur, um, and it was supposed to be an, uh, the first part of like a seven film story about the Knights of the Round Table and how they came to like you know it all kind of gravitated towards Arthur and the and Camelot and the you know that whole situation. Um, and after he'd wrapped production, he was told, oh, uh, we've changed it from seven to one film. So could you just tie up all those loose ends really quickly for us? And that's why you got a kind of a bit of a mess, really, a bit of a kind of incoherent, um, just mess of a film. Um, it was a disappointment, but I know he puts in a lot of effort and he works really hard in his films. Um, and he does seem to have a real knack for those, you know, good old gangster films. Revolver was a pile of shit, um, but Lockstock, you know, his his sophomore deb sophomore debut, uh, it was fantastic. Snatch is brilliant. Um, if you haven't seen The Gentleman yet, it's good fun. It really is, and I'd I'd give it a try because I think you'd be thoroughly entertained. I wouldn't say it's his best, but it's definitely a return to form for the kind of films that he does does so so well. Um, but what I think I might have to review next week is Rock and Roller, because not a lot of people watched that. It kind of slipped under the radar a little bit, and it had a really wonderful cast. Um, so yeah, I might give Rock and Roller a, a, a shout next week. Um, but yeah, for the time being... Um, I have nothing much more to say. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get the uh, podcast out yesterday. I hope this does make up for it and it's actually been somewhat enjoyable. Um, the big news is that we are now available on Amazon Music. Um, they've decided to get into the podcasting game. And things could get interesting right now because Spotify, obviously, as you may have heard, um, they paid Joe Rogan $100 million dollars to have his podcast exclusively on Spotify. Um, Apple, obviously, they've been the ones leading the way uh, with their podcasts. Um, Amazon now are trying to get in the game as well. And it's becoming a bit of a competition to see who can have the best podcasts hosted on their platform. Currently, I'm not exclusively contracted to anyone. I know, crazy, right? No one's offering me $100 million. No one's offering me dollars at all. Um, but I really love doing this podcast and a crazy out there, you know, batshit crazy for even suggesting it kind of scenario would be this podcast gaining momentum to the point where it becomes an earner and I can quit my job and do this full time. I do want to be an actor and I will still be an actor. I'm sure I'll still have time for it, but my God, if I could get some kind of you know, just a sponsor for this podcast. It would make a huge deal. I'm con considering doing a Patreon page. Give me a shout if you think that's a good idea. Um, it'll mean making a contribution each week when I put an episode out. And it'll give me the encouragement to actually put an episode out because if I don't, I don't get paid. Um, but at the moment, I think the maximum listens any episode has had is around 65, which... Actually, that's the, that's the amount of downloads it has. I'm not sure how many listens it's actually had. But, um, yeah, I could do with a few more listeners, a few more followers. So, if you're a fan of the show, 
make it your mission this week to try to get someone else interested in it. Um, I know a lot of you do kind of push it on your friends and family and you do try to share it on social networks. I appreciate that. And let me tell you, it fucking works. All right. It, it really does help me kind of build an audience. Um, so, yeah, there is literally no way, no platform out there in existence right now that doesn't host the following feature podcast. If you've got any kind of device in your house um, from like Amazon or Google or anything like that, then ask it. Plain and simple, play the following feature podcast. And you know what? It probably will. But that's it from me. Um, I'm going to love you and leave you. Uh, it's Monday now, and I've got to be up tomorrow morning to uh, drive to a studio to make a TV series, a very successful soap opera. And I've got to... Um, I'm playing a delivery driver. So I might have to do a bit of driving. It's it's a weird situation. Um yeah, it's it's one of those things as well where I'm not even sure you're going to be able to see me or recognise me when it comes out because uh, I'll be wearing a scarf, I'll be wearing a face mask, I'll be wearing a hat. Jesus, if I'm not robbing the place, then someone's going to suspect that I might. So, um, yeah, until next week, uh, enjoy, I would say enjoy the rest of your weekend, but we missed that one, didn't we? Fuck. But enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy your movies. I wish you peace, love, empathy, and I'll see you next week. All right, bye-bye.